few weeks ago, I attended a gathering that was sponsored by the Keene Chamber of Commerce that was called the State of the Monadnock Region. And the keynote speaker for it was the uh, director of the New Hampshire Economic Bureau. And it was really fascinating to hear him uh, talk about both the whole state, but also the Monadnock region in general, looking at both the strengths and weaknesses that our, our area has, um, both economically and through its resources. And so this area, kind of like any rural area, um, does have some challenges when it comes to the economic forum of, you know, we, the population growth of Cheshire County, or especially Keene, hasn't changed much in 15 years. You know, job growth is a little bit, a little bit stagnant. Affordable, quality housing um, is also one of, one of the issues that our, that our region faces. Um, but as he said this, he was also very kind of encouraging because he says, you know what? The one thing that this area has that other areas don't, especially other rural areas, is the resources you guys have here in the Monadnock region, especially in Keene. And I almost like swelled with pride a little bit as he started talking. He was like, you guys, you come in, you have like the most beautiful Main Street I've ever seen. Uh, Keene actually used to have the widest Main Street in America up until I think now it's, it might be second. Keene also used to have the most softball players per capita. So go softball. <laughs> Uh, but I remember when my wife and I, we lived in the Boston area. For, we were from here, the area, was working in the Boston area for a couple of years. But one of the reasons why we moved back here was that this is such a great place to raise a family. Uh, and it just, especially this time of year, it's so beautiful. I'm going to show you the name, Mount Monadnock. How many of you climbed, climbed Mount Monadnock? Yeah, I would say that's, that makes about sense because it's the second most climbed mountain in the world. So uh, probably that's indicative of it. Uh, you know, we have a great college. He was, these are some of the things he was highlighting. You've got you to get great college here in town. Uh, top-notch golf courses. We have you know, Brettwood and King Country Club are awesome places to play golf. Uh, I stole this from someone's Instagram, but this is, we got lakes. This is Spofford Lake. I love that I, I can walk across the street to Spofford Lake. And the foliage is average this, this, this time of year. I stole that from Justin's Facebook page. Uh, and so this is what the presenter said as he got done. He goes, every time I come to Keene, I wonder, why don't more people live here? And uh, that just got me thinking how much I personally love this area. And when it came to church planting and starting a church and the opportunity to start a church in Keene happened, I know I was just really excited because this, this is such a great area. Um, it's not all, you know, foliage and roses, but it is a great area to be from. And even when we started Elm City Church, I mean, Keene's nickname is the Elm City. If you're wondering why is this called Elm City Church, because Main Street used to have really big elm trees lining up and down. Uh, so even when we called the church Elm City Church, it's really just to kind of say, hey, we want to be a church that is for this community. We want to be a church that is for Keene. And so we are currently, if you've been here, we've been in this series called This Is Us, who we are, where we're going, and how, and, and how to jump in. And a lot of it has been talking about just really what that says, because we are heading into a season of both uh, partnership, which is what we're calling membership, and to try to get really everybody kind of rowing in the same direction. Being a new church, there's a lot of you guys weren't here at the beginning or have kind of jumped in. So these last five weeks is helping us all kind of get on the same page. This is who we are. This is where we're going. Uh, just a side note, if you're curious a little bit about partnership, 
and what that is. We're doing, we have a bunch of meetings before and after church, and you can sign up for one. It doesn't bind you to anything. You, you don't, you know, all we need to really to sign up is just, you know, your mother's maiden name, social security, and uh, just, just the basics, so don't worry. <laughs> uh, but, oh, I'm just kidding. But if you, if you weren't here last week, one thing we talked about was our, our 10-year vision of where do we want to go. And we have a big vision where we want to start two new churches in the next 10 years. We want to expand these life groups we were talking about to 25. And the reason is the expansion of life groups and the starting of new churches is one of the best ways to reach more new people with the good news of Jesus. It's one of the best ways to empower leaders. And we talked about our value of wanting to multiply everything that was healthy. So this morning, what I want to talk about is our, one, another one of our values, which is being for keen. And just unpack what that both means and what it doesn't mean. Tim Keller, in his book, Center Church, he says this, and this was pretty uh, impactful for me in my uh, early days of ministry. He said, every church can and must become a church for its particular city, whether that city is a great metropolis, a university town, or a village. I just, I just love that idea, that church, you don't want to just copy and paste from some other area. You want to learn to become a church that is for your specific community. So even though the principles of the church and the gospel never changes, what a church looks like should be a little bit different compared to the place that God has put it. So I think about that a lot. Like, What does it mean for us to be a church that is for Keen? Because we're called to love God, we're called to love his church, but we're also called to love the area and the community that he has placed us in. And those, and those all three things really need to come together. And there's a very strong biblical basis for this. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to look mostly at uh, the, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. If you're unfamiliar with Jeremiah, was an Old Testament prophet, and uh, he's like kind of 60% of the way through your Bible. <laughs> so if, you, if you've never found the book of Jeremiah before, that is where it is. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 of chapter 29. But let me read to you the first three. It'll also be up on the screen. It says this. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Jemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So let me give you some context, because that was probably just a bunch of names of people you've never heard and you don't know anything about. No one was thinking, oh, finally, the sermon with Jemariah in it. I've been waiting for that one. Uh, so here is... Uh, Here's the context of, of, of where we're at and what we're going on. So the year that this is kind of happening is the year 587 BC. And this is right when uh, the Babylonian Empire, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, kind of comes and takes siege of Jerusalem and takes over, essentially conquers uh, the Jews and sends them off into exile. So this kind of happens in three waves. But in 587 B.C. is when it happened. And if, if, if you're familiar with the book of Daniel, 
So the book of Daniel is really about this first wave of, Jewish, of Jews that were sent off into exile to Babylon, which was the uh, capital of that empire. So what Nebuchadnezzar, who uh, and really one of the um, things that the Babylonians did is sort of their conquering uh, strategy, is instead of going into a place and killing all the talent, what they would do is they would go into a place and steal all the talent. So what they would, they would come in, in, you know, take as captives, it says here, you know, the metal workers, the craftsmen, the nobility, uh, in our day and age would be like the, you know, the, PH, the PhD students, the, all, all of the top talent they would take and they would bring back to Babylon to work for them. So what Jeremiah the prophet, uh, God through the Jeremiah the prophet is doing here, what that is a setup for is he is going to give them instructions on, okay, now that you are exiles in a foreign land with a foreign government and God and customs, here's how you conduct yourselves. Here's what you do as exiles. And so listen to verses four through seven. And really, um, you might be thinking before I read it, so what does a letter written 2,600 years ago approximately to a group of you know, people on the other, that were you know, captured by Babylon, what does that have to do with us being four keen? That's a very good question, hypothetical person who asked that. Thank you very much. Uh, here is what it has to do with it. The instructions that God gives through Jeremiah are ones that are very practical for us today. Because this theme of being people in exile is one that's carried all throughout the scriptures into the New Testament. How do we, as the people of God, live in a, in a land that's both our home and not our home? So that's what he's going to give us instructions on um, that we can, we can learn from. And this is what he says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. I think it's a little bit surprising what God calls them to do. Because the tendency would probably be to go two different ways. One would be you find yourself in exile in a foreign land that has captured you hostily. You would expect probably to either, hey, you know what you do? Just keep your head down, assimilate, like don't make any waves, just become a part of that culture. Or you'd expect to maybe be like, all right, here's how you take Babylon down from the inside. You learn their customs, you figure it all out, and then I want you to just like slowly sabotage it. Become cupbearer to the king and then poison him. Like you would, you would I mean, honestly, that's kind of what you would think would be one of those two options. But he gives them a surprising third option. Later on, he tells them, hey, because you know, do this because you're going to be there for a while. Like you're you're going to be there for 70 years, and so take root. Uh, but he, this, is, this is what he tells them. Uh, he tells them to put down some roots. To, in, in a sense, put your tent away and build a house. Plant gardens. Have wives. Have, have kids celebrate. Have, have wedding feasts. You know, and then this is what I find really most surprising. He says, 
Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So this word welfare is the Hebrew word shalom, which is the word for peace. And it's a much bigger concept than just lack of conflict. Peace, shalom has this understanding of wholeness, of completeness. And so when Jeremiah is telling these Israelite exiles who are living in Babylon, he says, seek the shalom, the wholeness of where I have sent you. So don't just make the best out of a bad situation. Don't just try to be a spiritual witness. He says, actively seek the well-being, the entire well-being of where I have sent you. I find that surprising. You know, seek the well-being of the culture, of the economy. All of these things, not, this isn't just a spiritual task that they were given. To seek the well-being, the welfare of where I have sent you. And as I reflected on that, I'm like, that is, that is an interesting thing to think about as we, as we ponder what does it mean for us to be a church that is for keen. What does it mean for us, in a sense, as exiles to seek the good of the community that God has placed us in? Uh, and, as I, and as I talk about this, I, I've been actually pretty self-conscious a little bit through this series of not wanting to sound like, like we're elevating Elm City, that we're this great hope for Keene, because we're not. Jesus is the hope for Keene. Like, and so we, but we want to be faithful to Jesus. And so part of the series is how, God has, how we believe God has called us to be faithful to this call. So it's very much not like, hey, look what we're doing. It's more, no, look at what the scriptures are calling us into. And here is the, how we want to do it together. Because we want to elevate Jesus and not, and not Elm City. I want to show you a, uh, actually not yet, hold that. <laughs> uh, I was thinking, so because of that, because Jesus is, is, is the hope, what does it mean for us to be for the city? Because there's really four, if you look at kind of churches, there's really four different categories churches can fall into. And the first is you can be a, you can be a church that's in, the, in a city or in a place. Keene is a city-ish, <laughs> barely. But you can be a church that's in a place, which means that you exist, but really it's kind of just for the people who go there. And it's not necessarily bad, but if your church shut down, Nobody except for the people that went there would really know. You're just a, a church that exists in a place. Uh, another type of church, and there's less of these today, which is good, but you're a church that's against the city. That you're kind of always having a posture of protest against the culture that you're in, and you're always railing against the evils of everything. You can be a church that's against the city. Uh, this next one is one that's probably becoming the most common, is that you're a church that's with a city. Which in one sense, there's the good values of you're on board, you're trying to support what that community is doing. But you've gone so far that you've lost your gospel distinctiveness. And then your values are just indistinguishable from the values of the culture around you. But the type of church that we want to aspire to be is a church that is for the city. Which means we care about the overall welfare of what's going on. That we want to get, get involved, not just in you know, spiritual matters, but we want to help make this a better place. But we don't want to lose our gospel distinctiveness. Uh, and, that, and that can honestly be kind of a difficult, a difficult tension. But we want to put Jeremiah 29.7 into practice. Seek the welfare of the place I have sent you. 
And again, this could be really tricky to navigate because what does this look like? That sounds great. Let's be for the city. But what happens when maybe our values and some of the values of the city butt heads? What do we do then? But for us to be this mix of being for the city while maintaining our gospel distinctiveness is going to require us to step into this way of the exile, the way that Jeremiah was instructing the Israelites, the way that Peter was instructing the early church, um, because the gospel always leads to a third way. It's, I think, I've been thinking about this a lot, especially as we go towards the 20, 2020 election, which I'm just so dreading, the whole dialogue around how, that, how that's going to go. Uh, you know, there's going to be this, we can either, you know, as the church, kind of like pull away because we get afraid and like go into our holy huddles and just, oh, everything's bad, we keep it out there. Or you can end up fully assimilating and looking not different. But it's going to require us as faithful witnesses to Jesus to both participate and maintain our prophetic voice where we don't just wholesale take everything and that, gets, and that can get really uh, challenging. But so where do we start, though, as, as a community? What does this look like? You, we big picture all this stuff, but what, are, what does it look like as, us specifically as Elm City Church to start to step into that? And here, is, here are kind of two ways. The first is we want to love and bless our community with gospel intentionality and just participate in the good it has to offer. So, for example, this is why we did the block party this year. We had a block party in Railroad Square just as a way to show our community we loved them. We, got, we got, a, got, got a couple of pictures here. That was one of them. And then we rolled out the red carpet when it came to the welcome team at this one. So if that, doesn't, if that picture doesn't say we love Keen, I don't know what does. Uh, but we did it partially. Yeah we, yeah, we wanted to get our name out there. We wanted people to know who we were. And we hoped that uh, you know, people eventually would connect with us and come to Jesus through it. But even if it didn't produce that, we still wanted to love our community. And we did it with gospel intentionality and the fact that everything was free. It was very, that, that was the cool part about where we had several people be like, wow, this is great. Uh, can we give a donation? And just be able to say, hey, you know what? We're not taking any donations because we're doing this because as a reflection of God's love and grace, which is free. So God's, God's grace is free. This is free. And they kind of, you know, got a few weird looks, <laughs> like, uh, okay, weirdo, I just want to give you a dollar, uh, you know, just, <laughs> so I won't, I, won't, I won't ask again, uh, but it just, allow, it's just those little things that allow us to do it. It's why we moved our, ser- our service uh, on the DeMar Day, the Clarence DeMar Marathon. It's the, it's the top-rated race in New Hampshire. It's a qualifier for the Boston Marathon. It's something our community takes a lot of pride in, and so we participated in it volunteering, and then we switched our service to four o'clock. Again, I'm not saying this to elevate us, more like this is why we do, this, do these type of things, because we want to be four keen. Um, and I know a lot of you guys are involved in the community. It's great. You know, we, have, we, have sought, we have coaches. We have PTA members. We have people who work for the city. We have people who volunteer, help with things like Green Up Keen. Like, those are all great things for us to be a part of as we seek the shalom, the wholeness of our city. But our call has to go beyond that. Being four keen is not just doing block parties and giving away cotton candy. It's not less than that. But the best way we can remain four keen is by staying gospel focused. Because, like I said before, it's not all foliage and roses. There is definite brokenness, both in ourselves and our community. 
And the only way, the real answer to that brokenness is the wholeness, is the completeness that comes through the gospel of Jesus. Uh, how many of you guys are, uh, um, are familiar with the Colonial Theater on Main Street? Who's, who's, seen it, who's been in it and seen a show before? So here's a, a picture of the inside of it. It's, it's awesome. It's beautiful. It's a center of kind of arts and cinema in our community. And one thing we're doing this year to be able to proclaim the gospel, not just in deed, but in word, and I'm excited to kind of publicly announce this, is that we have rented it out for Sunday, uh, December 22nd. So to do, we're having a, a Christmas at the Colonial, and we're moving our service to 4.30 to put on a big community event. We tried to get it for Christmas Eve, but it was astronomical for Christmas Eve. So since Christmas is on a Wednesday, we're just doing it then, and we are really excited to, uh, and my prayer is that we will fill it up, because I think it's going to be very disarming. Uh, even, even coming into a church that doesn't look like a church can still have a barrier, but this would be a great opportunity to invite your friends, invite people from the community to come out. Uh, it'll be like a Christmas Eve service, so the kids will do a little, a little number. Um, Justin's going to dance. It's going to be great. Uh, so we'll, inevitably, we'll just grow overnight once people see his moves. Uh, but then... Top priority, like the, the gospel is going to be clearly proclaimed. And in a time of year where even though we have a very post-Christian society, there's still this nostalgia around Christmas. And people are way more open to coming to something. And so we want to capitalize on that. So be in prayer that we'll be able to fill that place up, or at least part of it up, and people will hear, uh, people will hear the good news of Jesus. Because um, we need to share it not just in deed, but in word. Because people look out and you see, hey, there's brokenness out there. Not just in the world, but in me. And what is the solution to it? And we get to come alongside people and proclaim, hey, Jesus is the answer to that brokenness. That he became sin for us. He who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That following God is not trying really hard to do your best. Or I hope I'm a good enough person. That's exhausting. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid it all. And it is by grace through faith that we can come to know him. That's, people need to hear that good news. Uh, and so that's what we want to do. That's what we want to be about. Do that in word and deed and truly be a church that is for our city. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your, your welfare. And there's going to be a tension in this that's not easily solvable at times. But we want to both be for our area. And if you're not from, and if, and I know this is very specific when I say for Keene. I know not everyone lives in Keene. So we want to equip you to be for Brattleboro, for Putney, for Walpole, for Chester, to be for wherever God has placed you so that we can love those places so well that, that if we left, they'd be upset. We want to be the type of church that if we close down the cities, the, the, the community's going to be bummed out. And that we want to love them so well that they can say, hey, you know what? I don't agree with everything they're about, but I'm glad they're here. Let us love, we're, we're called as a church to love God, love his church, and love our neighbors as ourselves. So as we go from here, let's strive together to be a church that is for keen because Jesus was first for us. And that's why we can do that.